You are listening to a podcast from The National. Natural law says what goes up must come down eventually. Seemingly immune to that has been prime London luxury property of late. It seems to have just gone up and up and up over the years as more and more investors sought the returns and the comparative safety of that asset class. However, things seem to have changed in recent months. The latest data in the UK has shown that London house prices have fallen for the first time in eight years. We've had political upheaval in the UK, much higher taxes on property, particularly those buying more than one home. And that has succeeded in slowing down transactions and seemingly demand and the inflation of prices. Yet there is a very, very strong core of belief particularly amongst the investors from the UAE and the wider region here, that UK property is literally, for want of a cliche, safe as houses. And there is a temptation to believe that that may or may not be the case, depending on your point of view. The cynics among us might say, well, eventually everything does stop growing and does come down, while those that really believe in the fundamentals of London as a city and of how investors think and the long-term fundamentals, if you like, of property in general, meaning that people will come back eventually, and this is a blip. Well, to find out, we went to one of those companies that's right in the heart of this topic, which is Northacre. They're a very specific luxury developer in London. Their projects promise to be iconic. Palace Street, for example, which is near Buckingham Palace, uh, the Queen's residence, and what will be the Broadway, which was on the old site of New Scotland Yard. The chief executive of uh, Northacre, Niccolo Barattieri de San Pietro, was in the UAE this week marketing the Broadway. Assistant business editor Chris Nelson and I managed to catch up with him and have a real, really strong and deep discussion on the outlook for London luxury property. Uh, Nicolo, it's good to see you again. Great to see you too. We uh, met a couple of years ago. I came down to Northacre's offices uh, on this on the south side of London, across the Thames. In is it Battersea? Exactly. It's in Battersea, absolutely. Uh, very nice, you know, modern offices, lots of gla- big glass windows, and you guys were just getting going on some of the the luxury projects that that now you you're actually in the UAE this week marketing. So how has that period been the last couple of years? Times have progressed, thank God. I still remember the meeting very, very well. Um, I think we've we've progressed on 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 every front. I think the team in general is is bigger. We've now got nearly forty people. Uh, we were about twenty five when I met you. Um, Palace Street, which was uh, at the infancy of its uh, demolition stage, um, has now been let's say fully demolished with the facade retained. We've done the pilings, and now we're starting to do the we're starting to do the ground floor slab. So it's it's evolved well. And um, and the Broadway, which is the the, the former uh, headquarters of, of New Scotland Yard, um, when we went, we were uh, about to go to planning. Uh, we've got planning. We've uh, now demolished the old building, uh, which wasn't a, a great beauty, and, and now we're on site to digging the basement. So a, a lot has happened. That's good to hear. I, I want to take a step back because I want to talk a little bit about the planning and, and the New Scotland Yard Broadway project later. But just to understand what Northacre is, the people out there they may have heard the name, but they might not be sure exactly what the relationship is to the these projects. You're the developer. Absolutely. We're, it's very simple what Northacre does. We've we've been doing one thing for the last 25 years, and that's building high-end homes. So we are the development manager for these projects. And the money comes from 
outside investors or a single investor? How does in, it work? In these two cases, the uh, the assets were purchased by our shareholders, Abu Dhabi Financial Group. And then they own 69% of North Acre. Well, they did two years ago, and now they own 100%. Okay, very good. And so they're very connected to Absolutely. the UAE and Abu Dhabi. Yes, so, very much so. So they're, they're your owners. They give you the money. Um, but do you design the projects? Do you come up with the ideas and do you scout the locations? Or is it is it sort of given to you? Is this off the no, shelf? I'll, like? No, I, we, we do the scouting. Well, first of all, just taking a step back, I think that we work really hand-in-hand hand with, with ADFG, right? So we do go and scout the, the opportunity but there's always a symbiosis on, on how we're working together and, and and the thought process is one. So we do scout it, we go and, and negotiate um, and then we go through planning as well. On the design side, if the sites are very large, like the two that I've mentioned, we usually use outside architects for central London. But we are building now an in-house uh, architectural practice, which is 15 strong now. So the, the next one will probably be done in-house on that side as well. And so you've, you just, you'll get the... An outside architect will get consultants wherever you need them. Yep. You'll find the site and design the project. It's interesting because the two two of the sites we're talking about, so Palace Street, which is behind Buckingham Palace, yes, and which is pretty big, right? It used to be, I think, at one time a hotel and yes, and, and it other was, things. It was a hotel for the overspill of guests to Buckingham Palace. So it's now it's the only going to be the only residential building overlooking the gardens of Buckingham Palace, and it's about three hundred thousand square feet. And you've got a lot of. Good press, uh, obviously, be the queen's neighbor, etc., yeah. etc. It's an easy tagline on that one. Yeah, so it's a good one. So you, but it's not necessarily the immediate area you would go to um, if you're talking about luxury. So we talk about Mayfair, Knightsbridge, um, but that's not a natural. I mean, it's almost Victoria, right? Which isn't necessarily. Yes, yeah, and 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 we'll talk about the Broadway in a second. But you know what what's happened in Victoria over the last couple of years? Well, I think if you if you look at what Northacre has done over those twenty five years, it has not, apart from two instances, um, never really bought assets that were in the super super prime areas that you described, be it Mayfair, Knightsbridge. Um, we've always been buying in the on the fringe of the super high end areas. Right. So, for example, the Lancasters was uh, overlooking Hyde Park, but on the north side, which is, let's say, call it the wrong side of, of Hyde Park. Um, we did in Kensington. We did uh, uh, King's Chelsea at the end of King's Road. So all areas that were very close, but not super prime. And what Northacre does, it creates the destinations. And by creating a product that has um, the lifestyle and uh, a superior product, we attract the buyers that would have gone to Mayfair and Knightsbridge uh, just by giving them a superior product. And, and something different, I assume. Well, know. yes. I mean, at the end, Northacre was at the forefront of many things, right? So we were the first ones really to, to restructure old buildings and, and, and with behind an old facade create something that is completely 21st century. But, you know, we were the first ones of putting kind of car parks below those kind of buildings, leisure facilities below those buildings, creating apps for services for our, for our um, buyers. So every time there is something new that is coming out, in order to to satisfy you know the ever growing needs and demands of, of very discerning buyers. It, it, sorry, Chris, go with, ahead. With the with the Power Street um, project, you obviously you kept that magnificent facade. Um, was the, was were you did you have to keep that? Was that part of the planning, or or was that part of your your design rationale? Um, and if so, why 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 would it be worthwhile keeping? There, um, I think 
we, there was a part that we could have demolished a bit more than we did. But um, we were always the view that, you know, ultimately people come to buy our apartments, um, first of all, because they love London, right? And we always want to sell, we always want to sell them a piece of London. And, and by doing the retained facade uh, developments that we have done in the past, um, it really enables you to, to sell them a piece of history in a certain way. But then behind it is everything is, is as modern as it, as it could be. So we tend to, if we can, we tend to keep the, the period facades. Presumably that throws up um, technical challenges that uh, you wouldn't otherwise get. Massive technical challenges. I mean, I think that uh, Palace Street is an incredibly complex uh, development. You know, you've got a retained facade uh, uh, or grade two listed building on about 75% of the perimeter of the site. Call it like it's as if it was a donut. So you have a small entrance um, of, of a facade that has actually has been knocked down. Uh, so from a logistics perspective, it's super difficult to get the cranes in and out. And you can imagine you're just next to Buckingham Palace. So it's not that they would give you the permits every day or every night. Um, so it's it, it makes it super challenging. But the, the end product is absolutely fantastic. And you, if we talk about time horizons, just again, to go back to understand for those who may not necessarily know about development, when you identify the property and then you're deciding, okay, this is what the end looks like, the final success, how long from start to finish does it usually take for a project like Palace Street? I know you haven't finished it yet, but ideally. Look, I think that in general, uh, it takes you up to six years. From the time that you've uh, identified the site, that you've bought it, that you've designed it, you've got planning, you get on site, uh, it's, it's roughly six years. They're, v they're very complex projects in tight areas and, and they're logistics projects. You know, for example, in Palace Street, we can only bring 30 trucks in and out. So if we wanted to go faster, we couldn't. There are neighbors all around that, you know, they're like their peace and quiet from five o'clock onwards. So there are a lot of restrictions that make um, construction slow. Plus, construction is so much of it in, in, in London that there's a scarcity of skilled labor uh, and, and, and other difficulties of that nature that just make it uh, slightly more longer and tedious if you want to create something that is special. And at what point do uh, you start selling the properties in that six-year period? Very, very early. After, I would say, after about a year and a half to two years, so four years before finishing. And how has the change in the, 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 the sentiment around luxury property in, in the UK over the last couple of years, particularly with the political ups and downs, how has that affected how you actually manage the project? Do you keep going knowing that in the end it's all going to work out or do you have to adjust? Look, we, we keep going from a, from a, uh, a standpoint of, uh, of program of building it out. However, what has changed a lot, I think, is the, is the effort and thought process that goes into the selling part of it, right? So if you look at um, the collateral, the efforts that we've done in doing, you know, in doing trips abroad um, in order to, to, to sell it off plan so early ahead, um, the quality really has to really come through these, this collateral in order to, to get traction. And, uh, and so an, an exorbitant amount of time take goes into this as well. And just to prepare that, just to give you an idea, it takes about a year. More Business Extra in just a moment. But first, allow me to tell you about The National's other podcasts. Beyond the Headlines takes a deeper dive into the biggest news from the week with a distinct Middle Eastern point of view. And extra time from our esteemed sports desk is the best place to chat about the English Premier League and more. Subscribe to both shows as well as this one on iTunes or find us as always at thenational.ae. 
You're back with the Business Extra podcast. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi. Chris Nelson and I are talking to Nicolo Baratieri di San Pietro, the chief executive of UK luxury developer Northacre. There are things beyond your control. So broader market conditions, Brexit vote, which I'm sure nobody saw coming until the day it happened. Absolutely not. Including those that wanted it. Yeah. Um, and we've had stamp duty increased. I saw the latest data on stamp duty saying that uh, the government has got so much more money out of it, 60% of it coming from London, I think 70%, 17% higher this year in terms of that. But they're hoping that in the autumn statement, that in that budget, they might actually reduce it, which again, beyond your control, right? Whether it's up or down, but that has an impact on a broader market. So how do you, I guess I'm trying to understand as an experienced manager of these projects, how do you ride these waves up and down? When it comes when it comes to something so so high end, right? Because to go back to your point about you're on the fringes of sort of what might be considered prime prime, you know, and you're saying okay, that's going to become prime prime by the time we're done. But then you have a market movement against you, if you like. Then does that just delay it, the inevitable? You know, I think that um, in these kinds of projects, you have to be a bit bold, and you have to believe uh, in yourselves in your ability to create a superior product, um, believe that you have bought the right site, that you're going to get the right planning that's going to create and an add value. And um, we, we, we have that belief, and hence um, we don't slow down once we have identified the site, right? Um, because as you said, there's nothing that really we can do. So what we really focus on is, is actually um, dealing with the things that we can influence, right? And that is the design, that's the quality, and that's the ultimate experience that our customers will have when they live in it, because then hopefully next time they'll remember us and we'll have, and we'll have a, a steady clientele. So, you know, if you look at what's happened in the last, in the last three years, right, as you've, you, you've, you've listed them, you can also add maybe slightly more punitive taxes on the high on, on high end uh, earners as well. So if you put all those things together, and then you would have said, and by the way, we just come off of a twenty year bull market. Um, how much is the market going to be off? Huh? I would have said, well, at least if you throw all those things in, you know, 25, 30%, right? Would have been my guess. Also, because a lot of those things I said, not many people saw coming, right? First of all, myself. Um, it's interesting how the market reacts, right? Because as they always say in financial markets, the market is always right, okay? And if you see high-end residential, at the end, it's off by... 10, 12%, something in that region there, um, which is for the whole, for all the headwind that's, that's occurred, is not a huge amount, right? Which is interesting. So it shows me that there is demand for the product. It is obviously slower, but after 20 years, any asset class would have slowed. And I don't think that this correction is necessarily too much related to all the things that you've, that you've listed. I think that after 20 years, you know, any asset class corrects, then you can we can find you know reasons why. Because um, London's super prime was phenomenal. I mean, it was. Phenomenal. I mean, people were just putting cash down for twenty million pound homes plus. Phenomenal. There was a time you take a, a, a property and you you credit into a single home. Yeah. Because you knew there'd be someone to pay the money for it. And that's changed. Right. And I mean, that's changed. and that was crazy. I mean, with yeah. the first person who did it. Yes. I don't know what they were thinking. Yes, absolutely. Right. No, no, you're right, and and that's slightly changed. You know, there are less of those buyers around. But there are, you know, there have been there have been several transactions in the last few months of, you know, uh, between 25 and, and 60 million, 
which uh, it shows that there are still buyers now. There are slightly less, but what is happening is that the market has become the market has become slightly more binary, and so what you're having is that uh, you're having developers that have a pedigree that are delivering uh, the right kind of homes with the right uh, quality. They're still selling slower than before, but still selling quite well. Um, however, you have a lot of developers that decided to become high-end developers around 2013 and 14 because they had bought an asset whose highest and best use was high-end residential and they became high-end residential developers, which is a really tough job, guys. And and what they're finding out that it's not so easy and the product that they're putting out is not so good. And buyers are smart. You know, they've got really good homes all around the world. They know what to expect. And those those developments there are suffering, no doubt about it. If with the, uh, as you say, you um, taken the Palace Street to, um, properties to market four years before the end. Um, if that was the situation today, if you'd bought Palace Street today, uh, and we were two years into the project, would would you be selling them at the same kind of prices that you were asking four years ago, or, or would that ha- that would be reflected? Surely it must be reflected in in the current market. Well, it's um, it's it's interesting because Palace Street is actually the perfect example, because we started selling Palace Street in on the twenty second of April two thousand and fifteen. So we're two and, and a half years in it in a certain way. Um, we sold 52 out of 72 apartments. And in, during this time, we did two price hikes. So um, the apartments that we have left now are slightly on the, on the larger ones, which are the ones that people want to go and touch and feel mm-hmm. at the end. But it's shown that because the product is so good that actually people have bought at prices that I would say are... Uh, have not corrected, and do you do a fresh marketing push every time when you when you when you increase these prices? Is it like we, a, a big campaign? No, we don't. We we do a, uh, an, an initial push at the beginning, um, but for example, now we're doing very very little. And and the reason being, yes, we've got twenty apartments left. You know, would I like to sell them all today? Sure, yes, I would. Is it realistic? No. With all the marketing push in the world, the vast majority of those apartments, I think, are going to be sold at practical completion when people can go in and really, really feel the quality. And is that next year, 2018? That's going to be at the end of 2019. Okay. So early 2020. So we're still, you know, a couple a couple of years away. So you can now focus on the Broadway. Is that how it That's works? That's exactly right, yes. Now we're focusing on the Broadway. And you mentioned at the beginning, so this was New Scotland Yard in Victoria. Yes. Very close to Westminster. In Westminster. Yeah. In, in, in terms of Westminster Palace, the parliament, it's not far away. Yes, right? it's, a hun- it's 150 meters away. And so quite his- it will be quite an interesting location. But again, not, not one that you would naturally choose, even though I've seen that area has been, re- been developed in other, other places and it's become more and more... I, I hate the word gentrified, but what? Because it, it wasn't exactly rough. But, Desirable. No, it know, wasn't it, rough. It, it, it wasn't rough. You know, mm, I agree with all the statements you've done. I think that, however, uh, the reason why we were so excited about the buying that site is that uh, it um, the actual location makes it much easier for us to create a destination than other places, right? Because um, King's Chelsea, for example, very great location on King's Road and so on. But when you had to pinpoint to people what was around it, apart telling them that, you know, Chelsea and Chelsea is really nice, it was difficult to, uh, to was make Was that the it. former fire station, next to the former fire station? It side? was. No, that, that was another development. Okay. That's another development. This one here was, was an old school, uh, about 
200 meters away from where actually where you're talking about. What is really helping us is that, uh, um, first of all, you are a 15-minute walk from Mayfair, right? Because you crossed across uh, um, St. James's Park. Second, you've got wor four World Heritage Sites literally at your doorstep, right? You've got Parliament, Big Ben, the Abbey, Buckingham Palace, uh, and then all the peripherals like, you know, Horse Guard Parade, everything else that is so quintessentially English that actually... Um, makes it so much uh, sexier on a map than many of the other developments that we've done in the past. And if you then see the um, the scheme that we've developed, uh, we were also, you know, uh, good and lucky to get, you know, be able to go up to 19 floors. The views are absolutely spectacular. And because two, two out of the three sides that surround us are our conservation area where the buildings are six to seven floors, we have views from nearly every floor. It was, it was a pretty big building. It was the biggest building on the street almost. It was, the, oh, yeah, the time, it was. Yeah. It's, it, the building before was uh, close to about 700,000 square feet. It's pretty massive. Yeah. And, and you'll go in there and it'll be modern, more modern. It, it, will, it will look much more like sort of the buildings. Completely but, different. But there'll be a contrast with, with, with some of the buildings around it, which will be yes. nice, I assume, from yeah, an I architectural mean, point of view. It wasn't a beauty. Let's, let's call it as yeah. it is. But, you know, London has this ability that the ugliest buildings become beautiful yes. the longer you leave them, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, you know, they always try to list them uh, at some point, yeah. right? I think that this one was beyond listing. Today, is this the one, is this kind of building that Prince Charles sort of cries? No, this one, he, it, no, he didn't cry on this one. He, no, he no, definitely yeah. didn't cry on this one, and uh, which was great for us because it facilitated our, our argument that needed to be knocked down. And I think that um, one of the reasons also that we bought the side because we were very, very confident that whenever we would have gone to planning and said, guys, we're going to knock it down, Everyone would have started cheering. Yeah, and you got planning pretty quickly. Yeah, initial initial planning. Yeah, right? we got we broke every record. We did it in thirteen months. But now the London mayor is saying he's thinking maybe you need more affordable housing. How does that feel when he comes so, in and says that? So the, the technicalities um, are that we put in what is called an S73, which is uh, an additional planning application as a minor amendment um, in order to uh, slightly reduce the, the, the sizes of the, of the apartments. So creating more units with the same floor plate and adding in total 27 more units. Um, is that a function of the market, of, of where you have to price them now because of, of, of sentiment? Yes, it's a function. It's a function of the market, and, and it's also a function that when you design a scheme of a million square feet uh, in the space of eight months, however good you are, you don't get everything perfectly right, right? And so there are always minor amendments that one wants to do in order to actually create the perfect, perfect thing. And um, and it's also a function, as you say, of the market of, of reducing the capital slightly the capital values by we're talking ten percent, right, of the units because in general they'll be ten percent smaller. Um, so uh, we are they all for sale or are some for all for sale? All for sale. All for sale, absolutely. And uh, so we got um, on this S73, we got planning uh, permission from Westminster. And then the GLA, the Greater London Authority, uh, decided uh, uh, not to give us planning permission because they wanted um, an additional amount of, uh, of affordable units. Um, we are in discussions with them and we'll see where, where, where this takes us. I mean, what, to be, what, sorry, Chris, sorry. go ahead. What, what is 
in your opinion, an affordable unit? How much does an affordable unit cost? An affordable unit, well, we sell them um, for roughly uh, £200,000 to um, housing associations who then house them for uh, put in intermediate um, workers. Intermediate workers meaning firemen, policemen, nurses that need to be in the area. So then they sell it at, at, at more or less that kind of price. Mm-hmm. So I would say probably a fifth of what they would have been. Is that fair for someone who has to pay a million pounds for, for, the, for something next door, for example? You know... I quite like the English model, to tell you the truth. I like the model that, that first of all, uh, people that need to be in the area actually can afford to be in the area. Because let's, let, let's call it, if, the, if there wasn't a system, you wouldn't have one single nurse, policeman, fireman, teacher. Nobody would live in central London. No one can afford it otherwise, right? So this kind of system, I think, uh, also gives you a slightly diverse approach to London. And, and and that's part of the beauty of, of a great of a great city is diversity as well. Uh, as a, an Italian, and you lived in London, and very much involved in the London property market, everything that's going on, the wider chatter about Europe, about the UK, about London, do you see London being changed considerably by all the political? upheaval that's going on? Do you envisage it being a very different place in five, ten years? Will you still feel that it's as great as it is now? Look, I, I, I don't particularly feel it's going to change a huge amount because, you know, let's, let's take a, a, an easy example, like, for example, the city, right, and the financial uh, and, and then the financial markets. And they say, ah, oh, you know, now things are going to change. Everything's going to go to Frankfurt, right? That's the kind of the easy thing. But then if you look at it, Frankfurt is a city of 710,000 people, right? That has never spent anything on really infrastructure of any sort whatsoever because they've got 750,000 people, right? London has 9 million people, has been investing in the city of London for decades and decades and decades, right? Do we seriously think that's, uh, that the juggernaut of this size is going to be replaced by Frankfurt, a uh, German-speaking country, overnight? So we were, we were talking about how, um, you know, London, will it be the same place yeah, so five, it, five to ten years from now? Exactly. And we gave the example, you know, we gave the example of, of, the, of, of, of the financial world and, and the city and so on. And then if you see other industries that are emerging, because obviously it's a cycle, and, uh, and London has become the tech hub of, of Europe. Uh, right. Do you feel that? Do you really you feel that? I mean, it's difficult that. from this proximity to wonder if how real that is. Absolutely feel it because you know, 20 years ago, there were a few guys in a room in Cambridge, right? And everyone said, "Oh, there's a, there's a tech hub in Cambridge and so on." And now the East End of London, there are parts that are that are very tech centric. So uh, absolutely, it's uh, it's becoming um, it's becoming a major force uh, in London. Uh, obviously nascent, so we'll see what happens in a few years. But then look what's happened to the west coast of the United States when uh, when that took took over. So on that side, that's from 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 work wise. But then you have London has been cemented as uh, one of the lifestyle capitals of the world, right? And why do people buy? Um, apartments in cities that are that are not theirs is also because they have a support group. Their friends are there. They want to send their children to school there. They speak the language, which is a hugely overlooked thing when they think that London is going to be uh, replaced as well. And so all those things are things that have taken decades and decades and decades to uh, to be cemented. And I think that as, I think people are going to continue loving London for a very very long time. 
Do you think um, outside of London uh, that there are any similar um, markets that perhaps are, say, I don't know, 20 years behind London um, and, say, Manchester or or Leeds to a certain extent that, that might kind of replicate that sort of growth in, in the future that London for, has seen? You know, I think that when, when cities become, um, how can I say, very expensive and, and you know, and quite saturated from a, from a housing perspective, um, new places always come up. And, and I think, you know, with, with the new high-speed trains that are going up uh, very soon that are going to make, you know, going from, you know, places like Birmingham to London so, so quick... I I would be very surprised if something doesn't doesn't emerge in in that in in the Midlands or or, or around there. And that would be would that be something that North Africa would look into, or are you looking into it? Or? You know, we are only really good at developing high end residential, mm-hmm. um, and we have an expertise of finding you know the best finishes, the best quality, and so until the price point exit price points come up dramatically in those areas we will never be able to create the product that we want to create and hence compete with the people that, that do those homes and have been doing that for a very long time. Niccolo Barrettieri di San Pietro, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to the National's Business Extra podcast. This was an episode on UK luxury property and the outlook for an asset class. It's always been quite special for us investors here in the UAE and wider region. You can listen to this podcast and others on iTunes, or as always, visit thenational.ae. Thanks to our producer, Kevin Jeffers, and we hope to have you with us again next week.